had a high five. It's a good way to start it out. All right, how are you guys doing today? Good? It's just kind of weird, huh? Probably wondering what's going on. Me too. No, No, well, uh, I am actually, I'm really excited. Um, CJ asked me a few weeks ago if I felt like I had a word on my heart to share with you guys on Father's Day. And I was like, well, uh, I've been teaching the youth about who God is as Father for about two weeks. That that might relate a little bit. And uh, (laughs) he was like, whoa. (laughs) So he's like, well, why don't you pray about it for a week and then let me know. So I I really put it to prayer for a week. And and I I felt like God said yes, you know, despite any uh, fear I may have or objections or anything, I felt like in my heart that I should go for it. So I feel like God, this is Father's Day, and I, I feel like God wants to reveal himself as father to a fatherless generation um you know we uh we live in this day and age we have so many people who uh, grow up without a dad or even if they have an awesome dad you know we grow up with a distorted view of them and so i kind of i want to get into that and uh you know i feel like the the past few weeks i've, I've kind of been all a lot of my insecurities have been revealed as far as is that relationship with god as father and and with fathers and i feel like this morning that god wants me to deliver a message to you with power by his Holy Spirit, that it's not just going to be words, but it's going to come from a place of, of God it wants to show himself as father to you as his sons and daughters. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Will you do something with me? Will you put your hand up like this? Turn to your neighbor. Give him a high five. Tell him you rock hardcore. All right. That was awesome. Okay, that was awesome. That, that that related nothing at all to my message. So it was just, it's all I had for an icebreaker, so I figured I'd go with it. So. All right. Okay, so I want to talk to you today about who God is as Father. And obviously this is a subject that, that you could spend weeks on. You can spend a lifetime um, of God revealing himself to you about who he is. So maybe a more appropriate title would be kind of who God has revealed himself to me as father. Okay, and so he's, he's walked me through this process, and I gave my life to him when I was about 16. I was 16 going on 17, and, uh, and God absolutely radically changed my life. And he told me that um, when he called me, he said, I gave everything for you. Now I want you to give everything to me. And so in that moment on my knees, I said, yes, God, I absolutely give you everything that I am. Because he is worth all of us. He's worth all of our being. He gave absolutely everything for us. And he deserves all of us. And so very early on as I was walking with God, he revealed himself to me as father and as daddy. And that was, you know, I didn't know that's what he was doing. But as I, I followed him and I walked in obedience to him, he walked me through this process of who he was as father. Okay, and so that's, that's what I want to share with you, some things that he's revealed to me in that, okay? All right. So the first thing I want to say is that we know that, that God teaches us in uh, pictures a lot, you know? You guys see that? He, he teaches us in object lessons. We know Jesus taught in parables. That's for several reasons, but I believe one reason is that Jesus, um, he was conveying a kingdom that we can't see. So he had to relate to us on a level that we could see, right? You know, if... Uh, if I'm going to teach you how to multiply, I've, first I've got to teach you about numbers and counting, and we've got to build upon what we already know. That makes sense, right? So it says here in uh, Mark 4:30, it says, um, 
This is, this is Jesus talking. He says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like, and then he would go on. Jesus did this a lot, right? He went on, this, in this particular case, he talked about the mustard seed, about how the kingdom of God is like the smallest seed, and it grows to the biggest tree in the garden, and the birds come its branches. We all know that, right? So God uses pictures to um, convey to us a kingdom that we can't see, okay? Um, we know in Romans 1, 18 through 20, he tells us that, um, that we can see God and what he's made in his creation, right? It says that what can be known about God is clear to them because he's made it clear to them. For, from the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly observed in what he's made. As a result, people have no excuse, right? So we can see God and what he's made. Well, God did the same thing with relationships. We know that what's a big one? Christ in the church, that... that that is a husband and a wife. Yeah, the marriage of a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ in the church, and it's a picture of covenant, right? It's one of the greatest pictures of covenant that we have in our society, okay? And so God also set it up so that our earthly fathers would be a picture of who he is as father, right? God set that up, okay? But like a lot of other things with the fall, I got a little messed up, right? We know I got messed up, but God can come in and absolutely rock you and, and reveal the truth to you, okay? All right, so, you know, if, if uh, relationships can be such a, an extreme and real picture of us, to us, of who, of who God is as Father, then it makes sense that the enemy would come in and ravage that, right? You know, we see, we see that with divorce. Divorce has absolutely distorted the image that we have of covenant and of that relationship. Well, that's, man, that is huge because that's the relationship between Christ and his church. You know, and the same with fathers. And so, like I said earlier, you know, in a big way, we are in a fatherless generation. And so God wants to absolutely restore that. Okay, so our, our perception of father can be distorted by, by our relationship with our early father. Okay, and so this, this, uh, this is kind of like, um, like a car window. You know, the youth have heard this. I taught them. They're probably like, we've heard this five times. <laughs> it's okay. But, uh. But so this is like you're driving down the car and it's raining and you're looking out the window. Maybe you're a little kid. You're looking out the window and there's drops on the windshield, right? Well, those drops on the windshield are going to distort your view of what's outside. You know, the trees may look all crazy. Well, you know, the trees really aren't like that. But your perception of them is because of the rain on the windshield, right? Make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of the same way with God. And so our relationship with our earthly dad it's kind of like that water on the windshield. And we see God in kind of this distorted-looking thing, kind of like the trees or, or whatever that is out there. But we can know through his word that God's really not like that, just like we know that the trees really aren't Dr. Seuss-looking out there, you know. The, the trees are, are, are how they are. And so we can know by God's word the truth of who he is. And so as God reveals his word to us, he transform, we're, we're, renewed, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right? We all know that. So we're... Our minds are renewed by the word, by the rhema word of God as he speaks his truth to us. Okay, and so that's, that's kind of what I want to get into today. Okay. Cool, we finished the page already. All right. <laughs> okay, now, this is, I want to inject something very important, especially since it's Father's Day. You know, I am not bringing any condemnation on dads. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is something very important we have to understand, and all of us who have been through Father's hearts, understand this i will with both hands raised recommend father's heart absolutely amazing life-changing necessary ministry okay 
But so, you know, all we um, stuff happens to us and we pass judgments. Right. We're, when we're hurt, we can react either in judgment or forgiveness. And a lot of times when, if we react in judgment, that sets up a negative root system. And so we end up that we produce negative fruit from that. OK, so you can have an awesome dad. An absolutely awesome earthly dad. But if you perceive something in the wrong way, you can still be hurt, right? And so if we're hurt, we still pass judgments and we still reap negative fruit from that. So I just want to say that, you know, this is really separate from, you know, your dad's performance or whatever. <laughs> but obviously, you know, if your dad wasn't there, or if that was a dysfunctional relationship, you know, obviously you're going to have more stuff to work through. But we've all got our different stuff, you know. And, and so some, of, some people would deal with that differently. But... Um, you know, Jesus had an excellent root system. We know he never sinned. He had plenty of opportunities to pass judgment. He had so many bad things happen to him, but his reaction was always forgiveness. And so, you know, he had plenty of opportunity, but he chose, chose to forgive. So forgiveness in this whole walk of, of renewing your mind and, and transforming your heart towards Father, forgiveness is a massive, massive, massive part of that. Okay, so we're going to go through a few truths here. All right. So the first one I want to talk about is uh, we know that most people are pretty cool with Jesus, right? Jesus is awesome. You know, he died on the cross for me. We're, we have a great relationship. Jesus is cool. You know, the Holy Spirit, you know, we're, uh, he can be maybe weird to some of us sometimes, but he's cool usually. But the Father, we kind of have this weird kind of thing about the Father. He seems kind of scary, you know? We, we kind of may ha- kind of have this weird picture of father. You guys agree with that? Yeah, maybe. Well, it's that for one thing, it's that perception thing. You know, we talked about the water on the windshield. But let me hopefully this will kind of change our view of that. OK, um, we know that there's there's a place in the Bible where someone said, show us the father. And then this person said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Good job. Jesus said that. And so uh, that was in uh, John 14, 6 through 11. And uh, Philip said that. He said, Lord, show us the Father, that, and that will be enough for us. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, after, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Um, the words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And Jesus says something similar to this on several occasions. Okay? Now, um, this, I, I like this place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this too. Um, in John 5, okay, Jesus has just healed the man in the pool of Bethesda. You guys remember that? And uh, I, I think this is a cool example for several reasons, okay? So... Um, in verse, verse 5 of, of John chapter 5, it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, Do you want to get well? And as far as we know, just interjecting there, that guy didn't ask for help. Jesus just saw him in that condition. He found out that he'd been, uh, been in that condition for 38 years, and he asked him, Do you want to get well? Okay. So, so we know the story. Jesus miraculously heals the man. He tells him to get up and walk. And, uh, but this was all on the Sabbath. And so it made the, the Pharisees and religious people upset. So in verse 16, 
Um, it says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Persecuted him. In response to this, I think this is key. In response to this, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, equal, um, making himself equal with God. Okay? So I think that's huge, that, that Jesus gave him this answer. Oh, and it goes on in, in uh, verse 19. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He says, I can only do what I see my father doing. Okay? So that, the whole section is awesome right there. But we see that, that Jesus, he says, you know, I can't do anything apart from my father. And, uh, and it says in Hebrews 1, 3, that the son is the radiance of God's glory and an exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful world, by his powerful word. So Jesus is an exact representation of the father. He only did what he saw the father doing. So what did Jesus do? We know that he went about doing good, right? It says in several places, he went about doing good. Um, Matthew 9.35, it says, Jesus went about in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, curing all kinds of diseases and every kind of sickness and infirmity. So we need to know that Jesus moved in compassion. He loved, he healed, he served, and he spoke the truth. Okay, so if Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, then we can know that that was also the heart of the Father when Jesus moved in compassion. Okay, that whenever Jesus moved in healing, that was the heart of the Father to heal all kinds of sickness. You know, that, that Jesus, he absolutely came to reveal the Father. So if, if we have any, you know, scary pictures of Father, we can go through the Gospels and read about Jesus' life and let that transform your thinking about who God is as Father. Because anything Jesus did was the heart of the Father. Okay. All right. All right, so I also want to say this. How are we doing? Oh, sweet. We have plenty of time. I know we want to get to our burgers and our excitement. It's going to be great. <laughs> I don't get to stay, but it's going to be awesome. Okay, um, I, I want to say that in regards to our kind of our picture of Father and, and with Jesus and everything, we, Jesus brought a shift. You know, he, it says he didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it, right? But he brought a shift from Old Testament to New Testament thinking. And an example of that is in Luke 9, 51 through 56, okay? So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, and he, uh, he sends some people ahead of him. The Samaritans didn't welcome him. So James and John, they had just received their authority to do all this stuff, okay? Jesus had, like, said, okay, go, heal the sick, do all that good stuff, you know? So they have this authority. They're like, yeah, we're going to be awesome. And so these Samaritans don't welcome Jesus. So they're like, Jesus, should we call down fire and destroy all these people? And, you know, they thought it was a good idea. You know, all the, they, they're like, you know, Elijah did it. That was kind of their only picture of, of what was godly until that point, besides what Jesus had taught them up into that, right? So they thought this was a good idea. But listen to Jesus' response. Um, let's see. Where's that? Sorry. Um, okay, so and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down? From heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Okay, so at this point, um, 
you know, Jesus, he brought that shift in thinking. You know, he did this in, in everything. You know, Jesus was all about rocking, rocking the stuff with the truth. And so Jesus brought this, this shift, this paradigm shift in, okay, I've come to bring life. And this is the heart of the Father now. This is the heart of the Father. Okay. Okay, so that was the first one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, right? All right, the second one. Uh, this is going to be a quick one. Um, I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16 in the, in the message. This is Paul. He's talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, I'm not writing all of this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you, and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. And, and the NIV says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Okay, I think this is cool because this is Paul kind of describing his heart as a spiritual father to this, these people in the church, okay? And so, um, according to this, you know, a father is not waiting to whack his kid when he messes up. <laughs> you know, he says he's willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. And uh, in, in any discipline that he brings as fathers, because he loves them and wants them to grow up well. That's what it said. I love you and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. And God is committed to that process, to help us grow up, to discipline us when we need it. But that's his heart, is he wants us to grow up well, and he's willing to walk through it with us. Okay. All right. Uh, this next one. This one has been really big for me, and God has, has absolutely walked me through the process in this one. And this truth here is that God will never reject us. Okay? And uh, so God, he... Like I said, as I surrendered myself to him, he was walking through this process. I didn't realize that's what he was doing, but he was just revealing his truth to me and and bringing people in my life who would would demonstrate that truth to me. And this one, when God showed me this thing that I'm about to share with you, it absolutely rocked me. Okay. So in in Romans 8, we know it says that nothing is separated from God's love. And this is going to seem like a rabbit trail, but don't worry, it's going to come all around, okay? So, who knows the story about Noah? Everyone, that's awesome. If nothing else, you've seen it on a nursery room wall or something. So, what did Noah do? Anyone? He built an ark, yeah. He built an ark. God was going to flood the earth and start over, and and he built an ark, right? So, they built the ark. They're floating around. Uh, He sends out the birds, and they come back and send them out, you know. Fast forward, okay. They're, They're planted again on the mountain. After the ark, right? So he gets out of the ark, and, and God does what? what? What does he do with Noah? He makes a covenant. makes a covenant with Noah. He gives Noah a promise. And there's, there's a symbol that is a sign of that covenant. What was that symbol that we still see today? All right, a rainbow. Perfect. Yeah, so God gives the rainbow. And what was the promise that the rainbow represented? Yeah, perfect. He'll never flood the earth again. Okay, so God made that promise and covenant with Noah that he would never again flood the earth. The, uh, the rainbow was a picture of that. Okay? And so we know that God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he sh- should change his mind. If God promises, he fulfills. If he speaks, he acts. Right? God's word is so true that in, in Genesis in the beginning, whenever he said, let there be, God's word was so true that it was impossible for it not to be. 
right? The foundations of, of everything in all creation stands on God's on the truth of God's word. You believe that? Uh, yeah. So God, if God speaks, it's it's true. Okay. So with that in mind, and with this, remember the covenant with Noah. Keep that in mind. Okay. We're going to go to Isaiah 54, 7 through 10. Okay, I'm going to read through it real fast. And then we're going to look at this. This says, For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. Now, so now I've sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke or reject you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Okay, now we know from Corinthians 5.21 that, that Jesus, he who had no sin, became sin for us, so that in him we become the righteousness of God, right? We know that on the cross, Jesus not only took on our sin, he became sin. He became our sin so that we could be his righteousness. You know, the perfect, sinless Jesus took that on for us. Okay? i got to read this to you in the Amplified. It's so good. It says, For our sake he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God what we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him, with him by his goodness. So good. Okay. So when Jesus became sin on the cross, the Father had to turn away from him. Because God and sin, they can't be together. God is perfect, holy, sinless. The, the wages of sin is death. When Jesus became sin on the cross, he was separated from God. He endured separation from God so that we don't have to endure it eternally. Okay, so so let's look again here at Isaiah 54. It says, for a brief moment, I abandon you, but with deep compassion, I'll bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Okay, so for a brief moment, the father had to abandon Jesus. Okay, because he became sin for us. He took on what we deserved. And in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. So God had to turn away from Jesus when he became our sin. You know, when Jesus cried out, Father, you know, why have you forsaken me? He had to be separated from God for us. It says, but with everlasting kindness, I'll have compassion on you. Okay, and then he says, to me, this is like the days of Noah. He said, when I swore the watch of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I've sworn not to be angry with you. Never to rebuke or reject you again. Okay, so do you see that to the extent and, and the, uh, the height of which God promised to Noah never again to flood the earth, in the same way, the same covenant-making, promising God promises never to reject us. You see that? Isn't that awesome? He makes that comparison. That's one that we know is never going to change, right? So... To me, when I see a rainbow, it is, you know, God's never going to flood the earth, and he's never going to reject me. He's never going to abandon me. Because Jesus took on the ultimate in rejection and abandonment so that I don't have to bear that from people or from God. Jesus took that on for me just as much as he took on my sickness 
and so that I could have healing in my body just as much as he took on my sins so that I could come before God pure and righteous and holy. He, he did the same taking on rejection, so I never have to be rejected. Okay. All right. All right, so we can't hardly talk about Father without mentioning Abba, right? Not the Swedish pop band. <laughs> but, but Abba as in Daddy God, okay? So um, I, I looked this up. I did a little bit of research. Um, and according to the Strong's Concordance, the word Abba occurs three times in the New Testament. Okay, and Abba is Aramaic for Father. And it is expressive of an especially close relationship to God. So it's kind of like how we would, we would say daddy. Or, you know, we, we don't, usually don't say father unless you're British or something. Father. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you guys call your dad's father. That's cool. If it's intimate for you, then that's awesome. But, you know, I, I would probably say daddy or dad or something. Okay. So let's look, let's look at these three places where this... This word Abba or Daddy is used, okay? The first one I want to look at is Romans 8, 15. And uh, actually 14 and 15. It says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit, that's a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit of sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. All right? So I want to note here that the word sonship says we've received the the Holy Spirit of sonship. That word actually means adoption. And just a cool note on adoption. um, Adoption was common among the Greeks and the Romans who granted adoption, uh, who granted the adopted son all the privileges of a natural son, including inheritance rights. Okay, so we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And, And I believe we are also sons and daughters by blood. Because of Jesus' blood. Okay, so back to Abba. Right, the second place it is, is Galatians 4, 6. This is very similar to Romans 8. Um, It says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has also made you his heir. Okay, so those are two very similar places about the Holy Spirit prompting us and through us calling out Abba Father, Daddy God. You know. Okay, so the, uh, th- there's a third and final place. Someone that we all know very well said this. You know who said it? Jesus. Yeah. All right. Jesus said it. Okay. So, it was actually in Mark 14:36. Jesus is in the garden at Gethsemane. Um, so he's in the garden. We all know the story. We won't, we won't go through the story. Um, but he tells his, his uh, disciples to, you know, stay here. And he goes off and he prays three times, right? And he said that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. And he went off. Since going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is where he says it. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Okay, and we know that he went back and prayed the same thing uh, three total times. Okay, now, uh, Gethsemane was an olive grove. 
And uh, the name in Hebrew means oil press. And it was a place for squeezing oil out of olives. And that's interesting because Jesus was there and he said, My soul is crushed with grief and sorrow to the point of death. Um, we know that he was sweating drops of blood because he was, he was in such anguish of soul. And um, you know, something that Greg says that I, I believe is, is very true, that you know, Jesus, he was going to endure a lot on the cross, but the thing that he absolutely did not know was what, what it would be like to be separated from the Father because he had never experienced that before. And so he, that he was in anguish to the point of, of sweating, sweating drops of blood. Okay, so hang on to that, and let's look back at Romans 8. All right. My Bible pretty much falls open on Romans 8. I just like, <laughs> there's so much good stuff in there. Um, all right, let's look at verse 10. Uh, he says, but if Christ is in you, then your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit's alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit, the Holy Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. All right, and then jump down to, uh, to verse uh, 14. Um, it says, because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him you cry, Abba, Father. Okay, now we know that I'm sure that Jesus spent many, many hours in prayer crying out, Abba, Father. You know, I'm sure he did that. You know, he says he would go off on the mountain and pray. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit chose this place in the garden as our example to relate to Jesus crying out, Abba, Father. Okay, so this is that's the only place that I know of that it's recorded that, that Jesus says, Abba, Father. So, you know, one thing to think about the garden is that the victory was won in the garden. It was the pinnacle moment. You know, here Jesus decided in his heart to go through with it. It was settled. Um, he set his eyes on the joy set before him to, to go through it until its completion. Right. And we know that it was it was that oil press. It was that intense uh, place. Okay. So, here in Romans 8, it says that we, this, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each of us, right? It's the same, the same Holy Spirit. It also says that we receive the Holy Spirit of sonship, and by Him, by that Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. So, let me ask you this. Did Jesus have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, <laughs> he did, yes. And so, Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. So, if we have the same Holy Spirit, and it says right here in Romans 8, that we cry out, by the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. We have the same Holy Spirit by which Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. So, we can have the same revelation of who we are as a son or daughter of God that Jesus did. We, we have the same Holy Spirit coming up inside of us to, to speak to our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God. That, that in the same way that Jesus, at the point of absolute anguish of soul, in, in the, one of the pinnacle points of his life, that he said, Father, you know, not my will, but yours be done. If there's any way we can do this differently, please. But not my will, but yours be done. We, can have, we have the same Holy Spirit inside of us. We can cry out at the pinnacle of our place of you know just soul anguish daddy daddy you know not my will but yours be done okay 
And, and I do, I, I think that we can have the same revelation that Jesus did of our position with God as sons and daughters, right? We have the same Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, when uh, Jesus was baptized, the, uh, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And uh, that's Matthew three sixteen through 17. And a voice from heaven, you know, the voice of the Father said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Okay, so here the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus to equip him, to equip him, um, to, to give him the power. You know, it says the whole, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, the, and the Father, he equips Jesus with his Holy Spirit, and the Father encourages Jesus and declares Jesus as his Son. Okay? So I, I looked up, I've kind of become a nerd at looking at the, uh, the Greek of the original stuff. There's just so much in it. Um, but here, beloved son, the, the Greek word for that, when, when the father says, this is my son whom I love with him, I'm well pleased. The word beloved son here is agapetos. I'm not sure how you say that, but, but you hear agape in there? We all, we've all heard agape before, right? That's the, the God kind of love. Well, that word means beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. Okay, the Greek word for well-pleased is, uh, I don't even know how to say that one. But anyways, <laughs> that means, um, oh, I thought the tense of this word was very interesting. This is, I'm no scholar, so I'm trusting the scholars. But this is the definition of the aorist tense, that this word for well-pleased is, when God said that, Okay. I'm going to read this to you. The aorist tense is characterized by its emphasis on punctilular action. It's not important. (laughs) That is is the concept of the verb uh, considered without regard for past, present, or future tense. Isn't that cool? Without regard for past, present, or future tense. There's no direct or clear English equivalent for this tense, though it's generally rendered as a simple past tense in most translations. So in other words... When God said he was well-pleased, that was timeless. It was eternal. That God was saying to Jesus, I always have been. I am right now. I always will be well-pleased with you. Isn't that awesome? Man. So cool. Okay. So the Father said that to Jesus. The same Holy Spirit's in me to tell me that I'm a son and daughter of God. It's the same Holy Spirit. Then to me, the Holy Spirit is testifying with my spirit that the Father is eternally well pleased with me. He, is, he always has been, He is right now, and He always will be well pleased with me. That it is apart from my performance. That if I am His daughter, if I have accepted Jesus, if I have declared Him as the one and only way to the Father, and I have accepted His sacrifice, that God says of me, I am well pleased with you, daughter. I am well pleased with you. And He says that to every single one of us. Okay, we're doing awesome. I have like eight minutes <laughs> and like that much left. It's perfect. <laughs> All right. So you guys got anything so far? Yeah. All right. Awesome. At least you said yes, even, you know, in faith, right? No. Okay. So all of these promises that I've, I've shared with you, this is stuff that God's made real, like, made real to me. And he's walked me through that process. And so if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. You know, God's no respecter of person. So any, any word that God may have spoken to your heart, that is your invitation to be like, that's for me. That is, that's God 
talking to me. You know, he's saying he's well pleased with me. You know, he's saying he'll never reject me. He's saying that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Right? So this is your invitation to continue or begin this process that God wants to work in all of us to clean that water off of the windshield so we can perceive him how he really is. He wants to heal our, our distorted perception so that we can see him as Father. Okay? So I know that, that some of us may have a hard time seeing God this way, but, but God wants us to know who he really is. And he's willing and wanting to lead us through the process of healing so we can, we can get there. And, um, you know, like I said, this process includes being transformed by the renewing of our mind, by taking on the, that truth and standing on it. You know, whenever you feel rejected or you feel like, like God's not there, you know, be like, no, he, he promises in his word that he'll never leave me. He promises that he'll never reject me. And so whenever you're going through that, you can stand on that truth. And the Holy Spirit will help make that real to you. And remind yourself that the same Holy Spirit through which Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. He's inside of me crying out, Abba, Father, too. All right. So. So I want to, you know, um, forgiveness is also a huge part of, of this process. And, um, you know, forgiveness, even if it's not, if they, your parents didn't sin. You know, maybe you had perfect sinless parents. <laughs> well, you know, we're still hurt, you know, we still pass judgment, so we still have to forgive, right? And forgiveness is so powerful. Man, Shannon gave this absolutely awesome message on forgiveness to the youth on Thursday. We've got some witnesses right here. Yeah. No, it rocked. <laughs> yeah, all right. But she said something huge. She says that forgiveness is one of the greatest displays of God's power. That even greater than an arm growing out or a leg growing out, you know, like huge miracle. That would be a miracle, right? If your arm gets cut off and it grows back out, that would be a miracle, right? But even greater than that is the miracle of forgiveness. And because Jesus accomplished that on the cross. And he absolutely accomplished that on the cross, that he would hold nothing against us. That is a miracle. And God, by his Holy Spirit, he will empower us to do that, too. All, all we have to do is be like, okay, God, I, you know, I forgive. Speak it with your mouth. Be like, God, I choose to forgive this person. You know, I choose to forgive my parents. Um, you know, and, and release that. And whenever you release that in faith, even if you don't feel anything, you know, even if you don't get goosebumps or cry or anything, if you release that in faith, you are opening up yourself for the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in you and to do a work in the person that you've forgiven. Okay, you know, bitterness is almost like an open door for the enemy to come and torment you. But forgiveness absolutely opens yourself up to the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to come in and bring healing. And the cross can go to any point in your life where you've been wounded, and it can absolutely heal that place. It's an absolute miracle. So I I encourage you to forgive. And it's difficult, very difficult, but worth it. It's well worth it. And I can tell you that God will never ask you to do anything that will not ultimately be for your good. If anything God asks you to do, it's going to be for your good. Even if you, you can't see it right now, God sees the whole picture. He is eternal. If he asks you to do something, it's for your good because he's for you. You know, he has good gifts for his kids. He has, he has great gifts. All right. I think I have one more thing, and we're going to call it good. Is that it's this that God is committed to the process. 
that if you are walking out forgiveness and, you know, maybe you don't see any results or, or anything, you're still struggling with the same thing, keep on pressing forward. You know, when uh, Joshua walked around the wall of Jericho, God asked him to do that for seven days, right? They walked around, marched around the wall of Jericho. Well, not one pebble fell out of that wall in the first six days and however many hours, right? Not one pebble fell out of that wall that we know of, right? But they, God, God was committed to the very end of that process, okay? And, and God wanted to see if Joshua was also committed to that process. And so God, uh, you know... God was committed to that very last trumpet blast, and that's when the walls came crashing down. You know, God could have absolutely destroyed those walls at any moment, but he, wanted, he was committed to that process, and he wanted Joshua to be too. So I encourage you, and anything that I've shared today, man, take that and run. Take that and run. March around that city with that truth, and God is going to, if you stay committed, just don't give up. If you stay committed, God's going to be committed to you to walk that out completely. To full completion until you see those walls come crashing down. All right. I think that's it. So.